everyone, and welcome to Functional Fertility, the podcast designed to help you demystify your hormones, up-level your lifestyle, and supercharge your fertility power. If there's inflammation going on that are causing the excessive prostaglandin production, then we know that that might be having a negative impact on the uterine lining and implantation or perhaps egg quality. So period pain is kind of telling us that there's something kind of deeper going on. I'm your host, Dr. Kalia Waddles, and today we're taking a deep dive into hormonal wellness with the period acupuncturist, (laughs) Allison Locke. Allison is an acupuncturist and integrative health practitioner based in Vancouver, BC. She specializes in fertility and reproductive health, and I just think she's the coolest. I've been looking forward to this so much. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thank you so much for having me, Kalia. I've been also such a fan of yours for probably years now. I've been following you forever and I'm just so impressed with like the content that you have and how accessible you make it. And yeah, I'm also a big fan of yours. We must be mind melded because I thought this morning, I think I've been following Allison for actual years. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) And so to have this talk, I think I've been dreaming of this for a long time. So this is This has been a long time coming. The stars aligned and I'm feeling so grateful. Will you tell our listeners a little bit? I think you work in a pretty cool setting. So just Mm -hmm. tell our listeners a little bit about your work, what you do, where you do it. Sure. So yeah, I'm an acupuncturist, traditional Chinese medicine practitioner. So I do both acupuncture and Chinese herbology. And I'm based off of um, in Vancouver, British Columbia. I work in an integrative clinic there. And then just last year, I kind of expanded my practice virtually as well. So now I can see clients from anywhere in the world. And my yeah favorite things to treat are fertility and reproductive health, especially like endometriosis, pelvic pain, anything period issues. It's really my jam. I kind of accidentally got thrown into this world of hormones and fertility, and I really love it. I've been doing it for um, over six years now, and it's really great. That is really great. You're going global. We're taking this medicine (laughs) worldwide. I mean, it's so important because the access piece is something Mm -hmm. I hear about the most of how can I access a practitioner who thinks like you and is willing to stay curious and open-minded. And yeah, so that's awesome that now you have that flexibility and you kind of, I know you've been practicing for a while, but I have to give you a shout out because I saw on your social media that you have met this, what I consider to be a huge milestone. You've performed over 10,000 acupuncture treatments. (laughs) Like, wow. Yeah, I so I do like keep statistics like that about my practice each year. And so I was going over my 2022 stats and I'm like, oh, wow, I hit 10,000. That feels like such a milestone because they say what that like 10,000 hour theory and that just kind of, yeah, it made it feel really cool that like, wow, I've done, I've done so many treatments and I've been able to work with so many amazing people. And yeah, it did feel like a huge turning point uh, in my career. Wow. That is incredible. 10,000, definitely (laughs) expert level unlocked, probably unlocked well before then. But what I love about your work and following you is you do so much education about the menstrual cycle. And you even have this online course called period university that you should tell us about. I know that you've looked at a million cycle charts and you've obviously talked to at least 10,000 patients. (laughs) What are some of the most common patterns that you see in someone's cycle chart that makes you think, you know, I really want to offer some support here to optimize 
hormonal function? Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good place to start. So the first thing that I'm going to look out for a patient is their cycle regularity, like how often are they having a period, uh, because that alone can tell you so much information. So is it irregular? Is it too short? Is it too long? Uh, because the like the length of your first half of your cycle, your follicular phase, and the second half of your cycle, your luteal phase, can actually give you so much information about what's going on hormonally. Uh, so I like to look at that. Um, if there are any PMS symptoms, pain levels for period pain, and then I am a big fan of BBT charting, so basal body temperature charting, where you take your temperature every morning, and then you kind of see that that biphasic curve as uh, as you ovulate and your progesterone levels rise. So does your temperature. So it, that can also kind of give us a lot of information about the health of your progesterone levels and the length of your luteal phase and what's going on with those progesterone levels during your luteal phase. And there's also, um, I think Jane Littleton, uh, who's one of my awesome mentors in Chinese medicine, she talks about how even in Chinese medicine, we can interpret the BBT chart and like very kind of TCM diagnostic ways. So yeah, I love seeing everything about a patient's chart because it paints such a integral picture of what's going on inside your body. I love how you've highlighted there's so much information to be gained from a chart alone, even mm -hmm. a paper chart, just yeah. information that your body is already giving you. And I know I hear from patients all the time, I don't have access to all this fancy testing no one will order it or I don't have a lab nearby. That's okay. We can mm -hmm. start with just collection of history. And I love uh, one of my mentors says, let the history unravel the mystery. And <laughs> that's so good. That. <laughs> yeah. So um, one thing I loved is everybody has a wearable. It seems like these days we have a, mm -hmm. an aura ring or a whoop or a oh, fit yep. or <laughs> temp drop. Yep. Any number of the wearables. <laughs> And in my world, um, it's so nice because for insurance purposes, sometimes that can be helpful. We call it remote monitoring. But in mm. your world, how are patients sharing that cycle data with you? Are they bringing in their phone? Are they uploading it? How are you able to access that? Yeah. So right now it's super old school. They're like, either verbally telling me and then I'm charting it on my own medical platform or they're like sending me screenshots and emailing me their BBT chart and they're like did I ovulate or what's going on here and then we can talk about it so um yeah it doesn't have to be super complicated they hand me hand me their phone because sometimes I can like navigate their period app a little bit better than they can because some of them are very confusing like where do you get to the cycle history and like the length of your cycle so yeah I, I'm pretty familiar with lots of the apps so whatever my patients prefer to use. Um, yeah, they can just tell me or show me the information and then we go from there. Well, I never thought about that. We should be able to add like period <laughs> app navigation experts. <laughs> yeah. Look at so many. Yeah, there are so many. Well, as you're collecting this history and trying to figure out where a patient might need support with their hormonal health, I think that we should talk specifically about cramps because mm -hmm. you do a lot of education about this and I think so many of us have just accepted, oh, cramps are part of my experience. It's inevitable. Everybody has cramps. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just normal. So when you have a patient with menstrual cramping, what connections are you starting to think about in terms of their hormonal health, their reproductive health? What questions should we be thinking about? Because this comes up all the time. 
It does. Yeah. It's, there's so many people that come in with period cramps. I'm actually more surprised when a patient comes in that doesn't have period cramps. I'm like, wow, you're a magical unicorn. And yeah, it's just something we kind of, we just live with. And the amount of patients I have where they're like, oh yeah, day one of my period, I'm just out for the count. I'm in bed all day. I have to take a sick day off work. And this has just been going on for years. And it's so unfortunate that they felt like they haven't had the resources or the tools or the the help to get this acknowledged because yeah we do tend to live with it as if it's normal I especially love the like oh my mom had painful periods my sister has painful periods so I do too as if it's as if it's genetic and yes there are some kind of genetic stuff about menstruation but pain itself is not like a gene and then you inherit it and then there's absolutely nothing you can do about it it, it does such a disservice uh, to menstruators but basically when patients are telling me that period pain is one of their top concerns I'm either looking at there's got to be something inflammation wise and or a hormonal imbalance like I'll just kind of break it down super simple like that um, and that can tell you you know a lot about your reproductive health so it can it doesn't necessarily mean that you can have trouble conceiving or at all but it does tell us that there's things that we can kind of work on to improve your hormones and improve your fertility like uh, if there's inflammation going on that are causing the excessive prostaglandin production then we know that that might be having a negative impact on the uterine lining and implantation or perhaps egg quality so period pain is kind of telling us that there's something kind of deeper going on. And so maybe I would look into um, gut health or nervous system regulation, circadian rhythm, diet and nutrient deficiencies that we need to target with key supplementation. Um, thyroid health is a huge one. And because, you know, PMS and painful periods, like they're a symptom that something deeper is going on. Like they're an effect. They're not just a cause or a symptom working in isolation. They're happening because other things are happening. Oh, I absolutely love that approach. I'm really <laughs> resonating with what you're saying because I see chronic inflammation in my patients that have menstrual cramping all the time. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gives us this opportunity to go inflammation hunting a little bit and figure out what are your unique causes of inflammation? You mentioned the gut health piece, which I mm -hmm. see all the time, intestinal yeah. hyperpermeability or leaky gut. I, I see mm -hmm. such a connection with menstrual cramps. Absolutely. Like, things like food sensitivities and mm -hmm. do you have periodontal disease? There's yeah. so many kind of nuanced sources of inflammation that I, I think it's not intuitive to connect that to menstrual cramping, but really yep. I believe there is a connection there. Oh yeah, there definitely is, especially the gut health piece and menstrual menstrual piece. Because I mean, yeah, with like leaky gut, there's going to be inflammation generally in the digestive system. And what organ is close to the digestive system? <laughs> Your uterus. Like it doesn't make sense to distinguish a difference when they're so close to each other in the body. I talk about that with patients all the time. Like think about the structure of the <laughs> organs that are geographically located right next to each other. This makes so yeah. much sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I want to revisit this cycle charting aspect for a moment because I we've already established you you look at so many charts and um, I've seen you do some education before about some common mistakes that you see patients make when they're mm -hmm. doing their charting or interpreting their chart. Will you walk us through some of those most common mistakes or challenges or obstacles so that we can have our eye on that when we're all making our own cycle charts? 
Yeah, definitely. I did recently post a blog post about this. And because, yeah, there's so many people that are charting wrong. And it's it's because like no one no one ever taught us how to chart our periods. Like this is something that should be taught in high school. This is really basic health information. Um, but basically, so the first things first, you have to know what is actually the first day of your period, because I'll have patients come in and any sign of bleeding, no matter what the amount is. So like, okay, I'm officially on my period. This is my period day one. And spotting, which is super light flow, like just panty liner amount before your actual heavy flow of your period actually isn't the first day of your period. The first day of your period is actual heavy flow. I usually say something that, uh, that a panty liner couldn't hold, like it'd be more than that. And so the spotting before your period, that is actually a symptom of your previous menstrual cycle. That's happening in your luteal phase of your previous menstrual cycle. And so I've definitely had patients come in where they're like, my period is so long and I'm asking them details. I'm asking them about their chart, looking at their chart. And it's actually their period length is normal. They're just having a lot of abnormal spotting before their period. And this is really different because then the like mechanisms of action are really different. How we approach it is really different. What it's telling you about your body is really different. Uh, Like it's usually, you know, I would think about like a thyroid or low progesterone for spotting before your period, as opposed to like a really long period uh, that might be, you know, an estrogen dominance, inflammation, other things I would look at. And yeah, some of the things kind of overlap, but they are telling you different things about your body. So what counts as first day of your period, I find that to be one of the most important things. Um, And then also the piece about ovulation, because what I really hate about period apps is that they always try to predict when you're going to ovulate. And sometimes it can be kind of right, but most of the time it's just a guess. It's using maybe your your cycle history if you know it's an advanced enough kind of app, but they're basically like using your first day of your period and then maybe 14 days out, uh, they're assuming that you're going to be ovulating then. But that's assuming you have a 28-day cycle with a 14-day luteal phase, which I probably only see in like 2% of my patients. So we can't, our period app can't tell us when we're, when we're going to ovulate. It's, it can't tell the future. It might be able to make a little bit of an assumption uh, based on your cycle history and your previous luteal phases and when you're getting your period, uh, but it, it's not that accurate ever. So we have to always look at different signs and symptoms to target when we're actually ovulating. It's funny that you mentioned this right now because I've been using the same period tracker app since 2012. So now I have <laughs> over a decade of data, which has been wow. So I've had two pregnancies during that time. I've nursed two babies. So I've seen a lot of so cool. variations in this. Yeah. Um, and I can go back and look at that history, but even after this thing has been with me for, you know, 11 years, mm-hmm. it still is two days off when it predicts my ovulation. No so way. I <laughs> pregnant, that would be really frustrating if I yeah. was relying on that data alone. So I think that's a great point that mm-hmm. they can get you ballpark and they usually do a yeah. pretty good job of getting yeah. you in that ballpark range for ovulation, but it's not a, it's not a perfect science. Nope. And then I just wanted to revisit. You said that, um, you, you counsel patients that if it, if their flow is more than would be contained by a panty liner, mm-hmm. then, you know, they can count that as day one of their period, but spotting can be contained by a panty liner. I think that's such a brilliant distinction. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take that one. That's really <laughs> there's gotta be some visual to it because how do we distinguish it? <laughs> yeah. I, I have been impressed with the integration of some of the like 
femtech devices <laughs> that uh, predict when your period will start based on your body, basal body temperature. So I know not to make this into an aura ring commercial, but my <laughs> aura ring will alert me with actually such good accuracy. It'll say in the morning when it sees my temp drop, like, Hey, yeah, you're, <laughs> your, your period's probably going to start today. And I think that as we, uh, grow all of these different pieces of technology that we can use, we'll start mm-hmm. to have pretty good data. And I think that they're already doing a good job. So it's exciting when yeah. we think about that remote monitoring piece. Absolutely. It is definitely growing as a field. And I think there's definitely more of a market for it as more menstruators are wanting that information about their bodies. Absolutely. Now, as you're looking at all of these charts and you're thinking about what kind of treatment plan you are going to implement, I know you're probably going to do acupuncture with the right candidate. So Can you talk to us about what kind of menstrual cycle or fertility concerns seem to have the most robust response to acupuncture? Yeah. So I usually explain that acupuncture, I mean, it's really great for helping to regulate cycles because it has such a strong impact on the HPO axis, which is the hypothalamus, pituitary, ovarian axis. It's basically how your brain communicates with your ovaries, tells it when to ovulate, helps with initiating menstruation, like that. There's always a back and forth communication between your brain and your ovaries um, through the endocrine system. And so acupuncture is really great at kind of just like helping meld the the communication, just making it stronger. So you can regulate ovulation if it's super late. Um, So that's why I find it really helpful for patients with like really long cycles or PCOS because it just kind of helps, you know, with that connection. The lines of communication. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's also really anti-inflammatory. There's lots of research showing this. Uh, and so it's great for pain. So I love it a lot for my patients with painful periods or endometriosis. I find they can get a lot of relief with acupuncture because it's relaxing the muscles. It's helping increase healthy blood circulation and it's helping with, you know, increasing, uh, anti-inflammatory molecules and stuff. Well, I am such a fan of acupuncture. I'm actually devastated I didn't become an acupuncturist. I know I way. <laughs> FOMO about it. And I always tell myself that when my kids go to college, I'm like going to go back to school and become That's an so acupuncturist. That's so cool. <laughs> There's just such a magic there. And I got to be really honest. Sometimes when I'm working with patients and everything looks good, labs are perfect, mm-hmm. cycle looks good. And I really can't figure out what's going on. Right. I have to really amazing fertility acupuncturists in my network and, and they do something that I just can't access. And it's really wonderful and magical. Um, some of the things that I think about and tell me if this is on the right track, but when I have patients, for example, that have, um, luteal phase defect, that's such mm-hmm. a terrible term, but yeah, a short yeah. luteal phase. Um, and for me, you know, I want to see a, a luteal phase that's at least longer than 12 days. So if I'm, mm-hmm. if it's less than that, I'm really thinking about what can I do to support the health of the follicle? Because we know that the mm-hmm. follicle is essentially the egg sac or little oocyte or egg cell is swimming around in there. The egg cell bursts during ovulation. And then that structure that was the follicle uh, becomes the corpus luteum, pumps out progesterone. That's really what sustains our luteal phase. So I'm always thinking about what's going on with the health of that follicle. And sometimes I think it's just a lack of good blood flow to the pelvic region. And acupuncture seems to be the most incredible tool for supporting that healthy blood flow. Uh, Even the American uh, 
the American Pregnancy Association said Mm -hmm. that acupuncture is incredible at increasing that endometrial thickness in a thin endometrium Mm -hmm. because of the blood supply. So I'm loving acupuncture for those reasons. Are those some of the scenarios that come up in your clinical practice too? Yeah, absolutely. I love acupuncture, especially with electrostim, electrostim acupuncture, like on some abdominal points to really get the blood flow going. And I've seen it be so, so wonderful for helping uh, to thicken thin lining because yeah, acupuncture is really great for your blood circulation. Um, And so, yeah, and you're right. It is really great for also helping to lengthen a luteal phase and the strength of the follicle because having good blood circulation is so important for your ovaries and your uterus because that's how they get all the oxygen rich, nutrient rich blood that they need to create the healthiest cells that they can. And we do know as we age, our blood supply to our reproductive organs gets a little bit diminished. And so anything that we can kind of do to help encourage that healthy blood circulation is going to help make sure that that follicle is as healthy as it can be as it's growing in your ovary in the follicular phase. And we know that if it's a really healthy, strong follicular Uh, follicle, then we know that when it ovulates, it's going to be a healthier corpus luteum. So it's going to be able to secrete healthier levels of progesterone. So that's kind of, uh, you know, working with the whole cycle is so important for the health of all the hormones. I love it. I was at a fertility symposium in Vancouver a couple of years ago, and maybe you were there too. And we just (laughs) didn't cross paths at that time, but there was a reproductive endocrinologist lecturing. And he said, that the health of the follicle is really just a function of ovarian blood flow. And it was Mm. a couple years ago. It was the first time I'd heard that. And like my mind was just rapidly expanding. Listening to that made so much sense to me. Mm -hmm. So I think that acupuncture is so valuable. I mean, for a million reasons, but that being one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the other things that you teach about that I'm fascinated by and not and I don't have a great level of expertise here, but it's in this concept of cyclical living, which is so cool. And I'm always learning more and more about this. Can you give us a little bit of background? Just tell us what that means for anyone who's listening and their interest is piqued by this idea of cyclical living. Yeah. So I feel like, I feel like cycle syncing has been kind of more of like a a keyword. It's been a bit more, you know, in there, uh, like on Instagram and TikTok, I'm kind of seeing more of it because, um, I mean, as we're, you know, putting more research and understanding into the menstrual cycle at all. So it's basically, I mean, we're familiar with like the circadian rhythm. Um, We wake up in the morning, our cortisol levels go up, give us energy. They kind of go down uh, at the end of the day. That's when melatonin rises and that helps us fall asleep. We have like our, you know, sun, moon hormones that help us with our daily rhythm. But then there's also uh, people who menstruate have the like an infradian rhythm outside of that, which is, you know, our roughly 20 day menstrual cycle. And so we know that our hormones impact our digestive system, our mood, our skin, our energy, like so many things. So of course, as our hormones are going to be fluctuating uh, throughout our menstrual cycle, it's going to be impacting every aspect of our life, basically. And so cycle syncing is basically just learning about uh, where you are in your menstrual cycle, the basics of what's going on hormonally, and then like diet and lifestyle principles 
cells that support these key hormones and various aspects of the menstrual cycle so that they can be like stronger and healthier and we can kind of just like live more powerful lives. I'm loving this emergence of circadian medicine. I think that Mm -hmm. that has been kind of trending for the last couple of years, but now seeing seeing more awareness around what that means in terms of our menstrual and hormonal health. I'm so excited to see where this goes in the future. And uh, you're on the forefront. You're in the (laughs) thick of it right now. And I think you're, you're living it too. Like you Mm -hmm. incorporate so many of these practices into your daily life. We tell us, tell us maybe a couple of your top tips for how you personally live in sync with your cycle. Sure. Well, so I think the first step is like, learn the phases of the menstrual cycle and then kind of get in the rhythm with like checking in each day with where you are and then how you actually feel in each of these phases of the menstrual cycle. So I think the first step is intuitively like check in and how how do you feel during your luteal phase before your period or how are you feeling around mid-cycle? And then you can kind of uh, learn more about what's going on hormonally and then things you can do to support it. So like, I love talking about energy with the menstrual cycle because I really think we don't respect our body's like signals that it's telling us. And, you know, if your body is tired, it's tired for a reason. That means, you know, that doesn't mean we need to like drink a coffee and then keep going. It's trying to tell you that, you know, it needs rest. So if this is before your cycle or during your cycle, or even sometimes after your cycle, uh, this is telling us something and it's really important to listen to it. Like we're really not meant to be super high energy functioning robots that can do like like a million tasks every day throughout our entire cycle. Like that's just not, it's not realistic and it's not doing us any favors in the long run. Um, And then I also like talking about exercise because I found that cycle syncing my exercise has been one of the most profound aspects of cycle syncing for myself. And that's basically like in the first half of your cycle, follicular phase, ovulation, you can kind of like kind of go hard, do whatever you want. Um, But then keeping cardio kind of like light to moderate, no more than maybe 30 minutes in the second half of your menstrual cycle or sticking more to strength training, Pilates, yoga, that kind of thing. So it doesn't increase your cortisol levels more um, and make your PMS symptoms and your period worse because I find it just like takes all the energy out of you if you're trying to uh, trying to channel your energy into these high energy workouts in the second half of your cycle. So I feel like those are some pretty good ones. Um, I'm also a huge fan of talking about blood sugar because no one pays enough attention to blood sugar. And it's really like helpful to know that our blood sugar is a little bit more unstable in the second half of our cycle because estrogen, which is the predominant hormone of the first half of our cycle, helps with insulin sensitivity. And so we don't have that part in the second half of our cycle where progesterone is more dominating. Um, so I think like being extra careful with getting enough protein, being mindful of those refined carbohydrates and just eating plenty of um, yeah, protein, fiber, healthy fat these things that help stabilize the blood sugar makes such a huge difference on our PMS, on our energy levels and how we're feeling throughout our whole luteal phase and during your next period. 
I think a huge benefit of what you're talking about is having this level of body awareness. Just that alone, having Mm -hmm. an an awareness of how your body feels every day is such a massive benefit. And it's interesting you mentioned the piece about having what I usually call relative insulin resistance in the second half, our luteal phase. I noticed that for myself quite a bit that I just Mm -hmm. can't tolerate as many carbohydrates in the second half of my cycle, or I have so Mm -hmm. much more water retention. I'm not sleeping well. My heart rate is elevated. And once I learned that, that was such a game changer for me to know that I actually do okay with carbohydrate when I time it appropriately. So I think that's that's a really great point. And I love that we're starting to talk about doing a check-in every day just to get that baseline awareness Mm -hmm. of how we're doing. So that's really cool and exciting to think about. Uh, I know you recently became a health coach or maybe a a year ago. Are we at the year mark? Uh, Almost. (laughs) Almost. Well, I adore working with the health coaches in my network because especially in terms of fertility, we know that there are so many modifiable lifestyle behaviors that can really help improve fertility outcomes, can help make Mm -hmm. the mental, emotional, spiritual aspect of the fertility journey more positive. Um, I'm sure that these are things that you're talking about often with your coaching clients. Uh, When you first meet with someone who's working on their fertility, what are some of the lifestyle factors that you're checking in on? You've already mentioned some nutritional factors and exercise. I mean, is that coming up again and again? What are the things that you're checking in on the most? So yeah, it's really individual, obviously based on the client and what and what their needs are and what their goals are. Um, so first and foremost, that's the most important part. And when I'm working with um, health coaching, which is really just basically every everything you get from my acupuncture treatments and sessions, just without the actual acupuncture yeah. part. So it's like all the talking, all of the like functional medicine approach and traditional Chinese medicine principles and stuff, just without the needle part. Um, and I just call it health coaching because that's the most, I don't know, umbrella term for it. But I like to, I like to kind of separate things and simplify things with like four main pillars of health. Um, And so that's diet, exercise, stress, and sleep. And so I like to identify in my clients, like which pillars need the most support um, and then how we can address it and how we can kind of nourish it in like a really feasible, sustainable, and just like doable way that isn't overwhelming or expensive or difficult. Like I'm not trying to make my clients' lives like any more, I don't know, difficult or more things more on their things to-do to list. Track, more things to worry about. Yeah, exactly. Because we're already so over inundated with to-do lists and everything. So my goal is really just how can we simplify it? How can we like strategize and create these healthy habits for a long-term health that aren't going to decrease your quality of life in any way? And anything is just going to help improve it. I think that is a very important point, especially when we're on a fertility journey and we already feel like we're doing all of these things and life is just about the doing and the improving. And so I think that's a really important distinction. As we are coming to the end of our episode, I want (laughs) to take a couple minutes and ask you some questions for fun. Sure. My first question is, I love knowing what you are excited about researching right now. Like when you feel like you need to do some research and you want to go read some research articles and you're on PubMed searching through journals, 
What's oh, your man. right now? What are you feeling excited about when you have to go do your continuing education? Ooh, that's a really good one. Cause I, oh my gosh, my most used website has got to be PubMed. It's like, I use it an embarrassing amount. <laughs> um, I, I've been really working a lot with like the nervous system, I think. And because I feel like, like stress and circadian rhythm and how it impacts hormones and menstrual health and fertility is it's so important, but it's also like such a vague thing. Like people say, oh, just regulate your nervous system. It's like, what does that actually mean? How can we actually do that? And what, what's been shown to actually make a difference? Um, so I think like working on nervous system and relaxation and like cortisol and stress hormones and stuff are something that's been really interesting to me right now. I absolutely love that. I mean, there's so much data and interesting mm -hmm. little gems to read about uh, like vagal tone and how mm -hmm. our nervous system influences our hormones, which definitely plays a role in fertility. We might need to do a whole follow-up episode just about that <laughs> topic because there's so much to chew on and it's fascinating. So, all right. I'm, I'm inspired. I think I'll go do a little searching too. It's <laughs> so fun to know what you're excited to learn about. My next question is if you could go into the past and find yourself when you first got your period, what advice would you give yourself? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. <laughs> I feel like we all have such interesting stories of, especially like, I don't know, our generations, like millennials, like there's so much yeah. less like support that we got when we got our periods. Um, and it was just like such a wild time. I had absolutely no idea what was going on. Um, the first thing that comes to mind was that, so I had period cramps as a teenager, as most teenagers do, because we're not eating enough. We're not drinking water. We're eating absolute garbage. Our stress levels are through the roof. So like, it's no wonder teenagers often have a lot of period problems. <laughs> and I just remember, um, it always being drilled in me like, oh, exercise is good for period cramps. And so I'd be like on day one or two of my cycle and in so much pain, like so much period cramps. And I was like too embarrassed to ask my mom for like an Advil. <laughs> and so I would go for like a jog and go for a run <laughs> because in my brain, I'm like, oh, exercise is good for period cramps. And now looking back at it, I think it's like really hilarious because obviously I think they meant, you know, exercise outside of your period because it's good for hormone balance and inflammation. But the only thing, I mean, the only thing that went through my mind was like, okay, exercise, that's good for period pain. And obviously it was not, I was miserable the entire time and just like exhausted by the time I got home from that run. The intention was there though. <laughs> you were like, let me hack some of these modified. I was trying. Right I was. <laughs> Well, you know, this is kind of good for me to hear because I am a girl mom. I have two little girls. And so I feel like I have this obligation to show up in a different way uh, and offer yes. some support in a different way. And I'll just, let me just brag for a second here that, well, my daughters, we call it moon time. That's oh, I our, love it. You know, it's moon time in my house. And so my girls are very open talking about it. And um, just recently I was kind of complaining to my oldest daughter that, oh, I was feeling a little crampy. And this girl is eight years old and she went and got me some magnesium chews. So, oh, you know, we're on the right so path and this sweet. is the next generation and we're teaching them the tools. So I think yeah. we have a, a window of opportunity to do that education piece to the next generation so that Absolutely. they don't have to be embarrassed about Advil like we were. Yeah. <laughs> 
so true. That's so good. For the moon time. Allison, before we part ways, will you tell everyone about your course? We need to know about Period University, what's going on there. And um, I'm sure it's helping so many people. Well, it's actually not out yet. I'm still still working on it. I mean, maybe by the time that you're listening to this, it will be out. I'm hoping I'm hoping by April of 2023, it'll be out. It's it's taken months. I've been working on it for like four or five months now because I just want it to be like the most comprehensive, like absolute brain dump of everything I wish I had known about being on my period and how to fix it and just like really feasible, easy to understand tools and ways of communicating about our hormones. So um, I'm almost done with it. And then I got to, you know, record it and upload, you know, do all the, all that kind of stuff to it um, and figure out how to do that. Cause I'm not tech savvy at all, but it's going to come out and I'm, I'm so excited about it. Uh, I just had the most fun time, like creating it and making it. And I, yeah, I hope that comes across in when people are actually taking the course, um, but it'll be available on my website uh, eventually, hopefully <laughs> sometime soon. Um, We're manifesting. The course is coming soon. (laughs) Yes, it is. Well, I'm so excited to see your work continue to evolve. And one thing I have to say is I, when I'm reading even your social media posts, I feel like it's your authentic voice coming through. Like this is the first time we've talked on Zoom, but I feel like Mm -hmm. I know you because your voice is so authentic and genuine. So I just wanted to give you a shout out. I really appreciate all that you're doing to do hormonal education you are the the period acupuncturist and you're really living up to that name. So Allison, thank you so, so, so much for spending time with us today. Oh, thank you. That was so nice. Yeah. I do really try to make everything just like super real, really relatable. Like let's not complicate things because yeah, or hormones don't have to be like super complicated or overwhelming. And I'm, I'm such a huge fan of all of your stuff too. It does feel like that we've been friends forever. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. It's just a full circle dream to have you on the show. So appreciate your time to all of our listeners. Thank you so much for being with us. And to my incredible, wonderful producer, Paola Martini, thank you for working your magic behind the scenes to really bring this show to life. Much gratitude all around. Thanks everyone. We'll see you next time. Did you love this episode and want to hear more? Head over to drkaliawaddles.com slash podcast where you can find more episodes on all things fertility.